0: Hi, welcome to Nine to Thrive, a show about balancing work, community, and creativity. For a little while this winter and spring, while we revisit our mission, we are going back and listening to interviews that we had with guests in the last year or two. We'll get to that in just a little while. Right now what I want to talk about is relationships. It's interesting to me how little we ever learn about creating healthy relationships, improving our relationships, doing the work that really needs to be done. We sort of take them for granted. And it's interesting because a lot of our language is actually around relationships. Businesses cannot run without relationships. They can't run without trust. A customer has to trust you as a company to do what you said you were going to do and not make life worse for the people around the community. And yet, what we talk about, you know, building customer relationships, but don't actually have any idea how to do it because so often we're terrible at understanding relationships. We often learn our, you know, earliest relationships may or may not be healthy. And we have to fictionalize those relationships. And I think that's kind of the most fascinating part to me. As children, in order to thrive at all, We require some functionality of our relationships. And in having those as children, we learn what relationships are. Later on, we take that behavior for granted. But we also have to overlay, if if we've been okay enough, we have to overlay those early relationships as normal, as healthy even if they're not, because they are what we know. It's a lot like saying it's very difficult to describe water to a fish. You just are in it. How would you know there's anything different, which is why we tend to also replicate less than helpful relationships. So right now, today, this morning, This afternoon, this evening, right now, wherever you are, review maybe 10 of the people that come to mind right away, people with whom you have a relationship, whether it's professional or personal, and ask yourself which ones of these need to be improved. It is an interesting fact that has been studied to some extent. That of all your friends and family, particularly friends, there is a large, I I think they said it's 50%. I honestly, it's a dynamic that's really hard to talk about, but there's, there's about half of them that you're going to feel closer to them than they feel to you. And then about half of them that they feel closer to you than you feel to them. It's a bit of a cynical way of looking at things. I don't, it kind of assumes that there is no, never any parody in relationships. And I'm not sure that that is true. It also kind of discounts an idea that not just parody, but neutrality, that there may be some people that you have great collegiality with where the closeness is not really measurable or to be measured. So it may be one of those, or, you know, there are several studies on this, but they may be one of those things where the concept itself is imperfect. So testing for a concept that's already imperfect is going to be imperfect. But I do think that it's worth noticing the people in your life that you're trying all the time for. And don't feel like there's reciprocation. The first piece of this, and I've had this discussion with many, many, many people over the years, is that reciprocation is not quid pro quo. It's not payment for your attention. It's not. It's funny when people go immediately to the almost far consequence of this, saying that if you don't get any reciprocity, if you want reciprocity you're you're greedy in some way, you're venial, you're a bad person being in a relationship when all you want is something. And I think that is gaslighting, quite honestly. <laughs> I think that's the response of people who don't want to think deeply about their relationships, which is fine. Close ranks all you want, but you know, making other people doubt themselves over just observing these things there's a good chance you're in relationships where you feel hurt all the time. So there's a couple ways to go on that. You can ask yourself if it's time to pull back a little bit on that, on what you give to that relationship. You can ask whether the hurt is made up. That's another fictional thing that we often do with relationships. We sit there and kind of make an entire story out of something that was never there to begin with. So communicating with that person if you feel like it's safe to do so and you're close enough maybe a really beautiful way through that uh Brene Brown talks a lot about this and the phrase she uses that is incredibly useful and dynamic for this is the story I'm telling myself is that this and that and the reason to use that is because if you attribute bad motives to somebody you care about then you've done them a disservice and to some extent you've removed any incentive to have good motives. And you unfortunately put too much into your own experience. It's almost a, it's this kind of quasi or full narcissistic place to say this person is what my story of them says it is. You may be accurate, you may not be accurate, but if it's somebody you care about and someone who's safe and someone who is worth pulling into, you know, really worth working out this relationship, then that is a beautiful phrase to start with. The story I'm telling myself is this. The ball is always in your court with every relationship you have. It is always up to you. So if you are feeling like, Fostering more with somebody. So if there, if it is true that fifty percent of people are less close to you than you are to them, that's fifty percent of people that you know that you can decide would be would I, again the language is so bad. English is super bad at this. Uh, enrich your life in some way. And because I use enrich again, it sounds really greedy, really venial. I just saw a TED talk on this that was so good. Probably TEDx about blame it's a little tangent but here it is English if says about an event he broke the vase so there's a little there's a little video example of a guy jostling a table in a narrow space as he goes by in English you say he broke the vase In Spanish and Romance languages, you say the vase is broken. It's probably a completely other discussion to talk about passive and active voices and blame, because actually there's a lot of places where we slip into passive voice, often around protecting people who really are to blame. But in terms of accidents, we often reach out to blame first. In any case, the language you speak, the language you think in shapes very much your concepts. They are, in fact, the building blocks of your concepts. So when we have poor language around things like, do these people enrich your life? (laughs) It really is a troubling phrase, except that it's also really true. And I don't mean literally enrich, but I do mean. Is your life better with these people in it? Maybe that's a better way to put it. Do you feel, actually, what I like to do is figure it out in sort of a more of an energy kind of kind of construct to say, am I energized after I am, I interface with these people? It's a little bit of a difficulty for me personally, though, because I am very attracted to drama. So I am often energized by people who infuriate me. And it's taken a lot of sort of self-reflection to pull away, especially because I feel in some weird way needed. I suppose like a firefighter needs, feels needed by a fire. I feel sometimes really needed when there is some kind of relationship drama of some sort. And yet it's not my drama. And it's not, it pulls me into the orbit of people who don't make my life better. In fact, quite the opposite. That's, I think, one of the reasons I'm sort of vulnerable to it. And it's one of the ways I'm trying to outgrow it, is to not be pulled into the orbit of people who want to suck my attention or suck my energy out of what I want to spend it on. So In those cases, you may have this at work. And there it gets very difficult because it demands your attention and these relationships demand your attention and we don't learn how to effectively deal with them. A lot of adults have the experience where we grew up with parents who, I mean, I suppose all of us grow up with parents who demand our attention in some way. But a lot of us grew up with parents who were very happy are no longer the focal point of our attention and people who created a lot of drama. And then we end up in job after job after job with authority figures, bosses who are carbon copies or or have some kind of commonality with those original authority figures. It's really, really interesting. And the more blind we are to that dynamic, the more often it happens. I don't know why this is It just seems to. So if you find yourself consumed with a bad boss, understand this, they're gonna be how they are. It's up to you to figure out how you respond. One of them is the classic, teach people how you wanna be treated. That may end your job. If it ends your job, this is true with all relationships, if standing up for yourself and meeting your own needs ends this relationship, ends the job, ends the marriage, ends the friendship, then it wasn't a healthy relationship to begin with. People die from the stress of their jobs. They certainly die from the stress of their relationships. We get the media and, and our immediate communities are v- often very... Focused on scarcity instead of abundance. There are 7.5 billion people on the planet. Those are 7.5 billion other people you could be with. So focusing on that potential, on that possibility, is going to be better for you in the long run than focusing on trying to fix whatever's wrong with this particular one and this particular person. And I know it's hard to hear it and it's hard to say it, but the same is true with jobs. Jobs exist. Jobs are created every single day out there. Jobs are lost. Industries fold. It is a dynamic, Process. If you look in, you know, I've had this many times where I've felt so desperate to keep a job because I was very scarcity focused with the idea that there would never be a job again, that if I lose this one, it is, that's not the case. If you lose this one, another will appear. It will be hard to see it if you are very scarcity focused. And awful though it sounds all of these things improve the more you focus inward instead of outward to please others so the more you focus inward and ask yourself what needs pruning right now in my life what what needs cutting off what i think one of the most interesting things is is i grew up with these extremes all the time But you don't leave a relationship unless that other person is actively doing you harm. And that is a terrible way to live. It hobbled me for years and years and years. That's not the question. The question is, is this relationship meeting my needs? And that is the one, the big, the question. And that's the question to ask of your job. Of your friends, of your family, of your close relationships. Is it meeting my needs? It can be super tricky with those of us who were raised to not see our own needs. That's its own discussion. But one of the ways to get to a point where you can see your own needs is to ask this question of everything that puts you in a bad mood, of everything that every time you feel hard done by, every time you feel uncomfortable in your body, every time you feel unsafe, every time you feel sad, the question is, is this meeting my needs? You will hear the answer. You may not like the answer. And I have to say, having found the answer and done something about it, That's not necessarily the end. There'll be lots of pushback and echoes, just like throwing a rock in the pond. There will be ripples that happen after this, but you will become more resilient. You will become stronger. You will become happier as a result. Next up, we revisit our conversation from a few years ago with Tony Nunes, a computer tech whiz and animal rescue specialist. Today I'm talking with Tony Noon's, whose background as an actor has made him a fearless advocate for animals and a leader in management. We chat about how the higher up in a company you get, the more replaceable you really are, the business will run without you. And how necessary it is to tell the truth to people in power, giving them the choice to make substantial change or not about how we need to learn the skills to humanize each other and how the cause dearest to Tony's heart is the duty of care we have to our animals. Okay, today with me is Tony Nunes. Uh, We met at a job doing tech support a couple years ago. Now he runs the tech support department and he is a devoted pet advocate And we're going to talk about the intersection of work and community and creativity. Thanks for
1: being here today, Tony. Thank you. I'm glad to do this. So why don't you just talk a little bit about what you do? Sure. Um, What do I do? That's a good question. (laughs) Um, um, I uh, mainly, professionally, I um, run a support, I'm a support manager for an East Coast and a West Coast company. And uh, run both departments and try to make sure people don't quit (laughs) and try to make sure that we make things go smoothly, not only for clients, but also my focus is always staff and trying to keep staff happy. Um, In my personal life, I'm married uh, about six years and um, we have a household of pets and usually on weekends you can find me rescuing some animal or, (laughs) <laughs> trying to not touch a bird because <laughs> I have a fear of birds. <laughs> but uh, no, normally i I try to do things to make sure that I'm I'm contributing in some way to make animals' lives better.
0: Okay, all right. So um, the management piece, mm-hmm. um, I I feel like I should ask you about your philosophy of management because in talks I've had with you before, that's been very
1: very interesting to me. Mm. I I have a a trust instantly with people so I, I want especially with people that that work in jobs that other people would consider lower level jobs that are you know hauling the load um, I want to make sure that those are respected because it's been my experience that people at that level are actually the backbone of the business and anyone above them could be fired and business would continue as usual Mm -hmm. like the higher up you get the more uh, worthless you actually are (laughs) in an organization to be I mean it's true it's true you know that's why like General Motors can like get rid of their president it's fine or you know some large company and then someone just jumps into that role and things continue because the backbone is still there which is everybody that's probably an hourly wage person or everybody that's a lower salaried person
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so I always start with uh, the idea that the most important Important people are the people that other people at the organization might consider lowest level, mm-hmm. and that's always been obvious to me. And I think it's obvious to even the people higher up. I think they know that, but it's a really strong manager that can admit that.
0: Right. I was it's, just going to ask about the strength piece because it seems yeah. to me that if you if you take that line, then you are in almost constant conflict with. Everybody in one direction. Exactly. Exactly. In the the up direction. Right. In the up direction. (laughs)
1: Um, And uh, that's always been the case for me. I've always been in conflict with upper management in certain ways. I remember a a job that I was at for 10 years uh, just before I moved back up to Massachusetts. um, The boss wrote in my going away card, I'm going to miss my union boss. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, I thought that's why she didn't like me, mm. you know, because I would advocate for people that were actually doing the work. Mm. Um, and I don't care if I'm fired for that. I really don't care. Mm. I mean, I wish I cared, but I don't because I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll figure it out. But uh, I, I want to always make sure that the truth, which uh, sometimes in a work situation, people say oh well you know perception is reality and that's actually not true Mm. because I can perceive a lot but when facts are in front of me I have to bow down to those facts and the facts always come back that the largest problem in organizations are the higher up people Mm. it's almost always the fact um and I'm okay with telling them that they're the problem Mm. even though I'm at a lower level than they are
0: it's interesting because I've been listening a lot. Have you ever listened or read anything by Simon Sinek?
1: Yes, yes. So
0: he's true. I mean, number one. He's adorable. He is Have adorable. you seen the picture? Of him? Yeah, he is adorable. Yeah. I uh, hope he's listening to this. You're adorable, Simon. He's adorable. Um, but the stuff that he writes about is really like that, that. You know, he'll he'll talk about how successful you know military operations are, and that and they will say a lot of times that they are there to serve the people that serve the ultimate client, right? Exactly, or, or, exactly. You know, in the military, it's, it's exactly. going to be a little bit different, but he d- he's completely employed at all times, overemployed, going to places to teach them this management truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: And it's so interesting to me that it's almost a universally known and then not universally followed. Like, I don't know how many times that lesson has to be mm. given and paid for, how many books have to happen before somebody says, oh, actually here in my business.
1: I, right, I, I right, need to right. like
0: pay attention and not stifle the. I need to actually support the people. It's a my customers are the employees and the emplo- and, and the customers we have are my employees' customers. Exactly, you exactly.
1: I th- there's never it's never lost on me. And one of the things I I said one of the first days I got my new job that I said to there was a, a you know three staff members that were now doing the work of seven people Oof. and they were. Um, being ridiculed and and not supported and uh, in a lot of ways they were becoming the scapegoat for poor management decisions. And I could recognize that right off the bat. In fact, anyone with half a brain recognized it right off the bat. Right off the bat. But I noticed that the people that contributed to the idea that support or these folks were the problem were actually the problem. Yeah. So they had a really hard time recognizing that if you consider someone else a C player, you're actually a B player, mm. right? Because a B player, an A player would see a C player and know what they needed to, to move forward. Right. So, you know, I was in a situation where someone was telling me all of your, your, your staff are C players and it cracked me up because the person sitting in front of me obviously was a C player. Right. And I hate those labels on people, but when people are trying to use them, I want to let them know that I'm okay reflecting that back to you. Mm. You know, I'm okay saying, you think this? That's fine, but how dare you label people? But let me label you and see how it feels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's totally fine. <laughs> um, I also, one of the first things I said to the staff was, I need to know what the thing is that when you wake up, in the morning and you're about to get out of bed and come to work, makes you go, maybe I should just stay home today. Right. And that's what I asked them. Right. I said, I want to know that thing that makes you say, I don't want to see these people. (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) talk to people. I don't want to, you know, listen to my boss. I said, I want to know that, right? because if I can change it, I'll change it for you.
0: Well, and it's still counterproductive for a business to run this way. Like, first of all, it takes an incredible toll on on humans. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just a terrible thing to do, but second of all, you know, if you expect then these people to go and advocate for your brand with yeah, put exactly. underneath them exactly I, I don't the, the, the math is all completely wrong no matter what like the, the sort of social math of this it, exactly <laughs> and
1: it, right off the bat when you see that it's like guess what you're an idiot yeah like you're an idiot if you can't see that your lack of support for the people providing support is, have, is contributing to your, your bottom line I mean, come on now.
0: Well, and anybody that's dealing with your public, right? I mean, right. support tends to be the one where they're all having solving problems. Yeah, it's more intense. But have you heard of the word presenteeism? No. I really like that. So absenteeism is obviously when people do oh, call and Oh, sing. okay. Presenteeism is when you come in, but you just, you're so traumatized, you pretty much can't even do it anymore.
1: So you're just physically...
0: You're physically there. And occupied. You're, so, you're, checked, you're <laughs> right? checked out. You're checked out. You tend to spend, like, way, as much time as you possibly can polishing mm. your resume or going right. onto LinkedIn or just sort of crying into your coffee. Right. Um, because you're just so miserable. But it's a great word to be like, well, let's try to avoid presenteeism, too. Like maybe. Maybe they're showing up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe they're just showing up because they're just beaten down. You know, it, it's uh, early in my work life, I had this interaction with someone. And I think this is what kind of started me off in realizing my life was going to be a battle mm. with traditional ideas of running a business. Like, I, I we've all encountered this. You, you yeah. have a manager. And they watch The Jetsons, and they oh, think yeah, they, they, they need too. to be Mr. Spacely or whatever his name was, and that's what a boss is. Or yeah. we watched, you know, sitcoms in the eighties where there was a boss that came in and said, you know, you know, Ellen, you're twenty five minutes late, and that's, you know, that was the the show was. How is Ellen finally going to, you know, assimilate and become one of us? Um, I recognized that early on, and I was at a job where managers were getting bonuses. Okay. Employees under managers were not getting bonuses. So one year they said to to the staff, there are no bonuses this year. And I knew because I had been in one of the meetings that managers were getting bonuses. Ah. So I brought up in the meeting, you need to not infantilize the workforce. What you need to say is This organization has decided to reward the managers only this year.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. And then
1: you cannot say we have withheld that from you. It's not like
0: that's not going to come out.
1: Exactly. It'll come out and it it will be more painful. Way uglier. So now what you do is you allow people to know the truth and they can decide, do I want to work for a company that would do that? Yeah. And then you don't, you, you respect them as human beings. Right. You know, you say, guess what? This company that you work for, you know, and again, the higher up you go, the less important you are. So, you know, like I could lose my job tomorrow. Things would go fine because the the staff I work with, they run the show. They know what they're doing. I'm just there to advocate for them and stand in the way of bullets. That's my job. <laughs> so, I, you know, I really think the minute you start infantilizing and withholding information because you, you are kind of trying to manipulate, you have failed. Right. Not only as a manager, but as a human being. Right. So recently there was an email that went around and it was... To managers from um, you know this HR department, and I remember seeing it, and it was telling managers what to say to employees about X, Y, and Z. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because you know it's not logical, right? (laughs) You know, so right, right, exactly. So here's the spin, and I thought that's really, really interesting because if you worked from a place of fair. Humane, decent. You don't have to do that. Right. You know, even if you were to come out and say, this policy makes no sense. But it's the only thing we can put in place right now. Mm-hmm. I would respect that. Yeah. But don't tell me this is the best for me <laughs> because <laughs> right. it's not. Right,
0: you're being right. asked to sort of participate in your own erasure. Exactly. It's like when um, it's like when there's a push to automate. Places right. And exactly. The idea that you know somehow cashiers should be on board with this or excited about it. Right. I'm like, and man, like why? Why? Or or just any of those things where they're automating and, and they expect people to be like like gung-ho gung-ho or, yeah. or even agreeable <laughs> right agreeable right like, like, agreeable. You, like
1: here's a job that you've been doing and now we're going to say well this machine industry. aren't you excited yeah and you say well man, yeah, I guess I'm going to have to learn how to fix that machine you know yeah. it's not going to be my job yeah uh, I don't think there's any reason in organizations to withhold the real truth yeah you know and I think the minute you respect people you don't feel the need to
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Nine to Thrive, a podcast about balancing work, community, and creativity.
1: I have been a manager for people before that told me that we come into my, my office and tell me I'm miserable here, I'm not happy, I want to move on. And I'd say, okay, let's work on that yeah. plan so that you're able to leave, but that you're still able to do some knowledge share with us, still get paid while you're looking for another job, right. and, and still contribute. Right. You know, it's okay.
0: It's interesting, I, I've, um, I've been looking a lot at... And trying to change how I talk about some of the stuff to be a little bit more about value and a little bit less about money. <laughs> because I uh, had a really good talk with uh, someone not too long ago about, she was in negotiations with her boss and there was, or with the HR at her place and the assumptions made by HR were one set of things. They never asked any questions and they assumed it was all about money. Mm-hmm. And halfway through the conversation, she sort of tw- twigged to it and said, no, it's about the job title. The money is very much secondary. Like, right, I'm, right, I'm pretty exactly. happy with the money actually.
1: Yeah. The money, I, I didn't even bring up the money. I right. want the
0: job title. Right. And HR just did this massive meltdown. They couldn't believe that it was as simple as. Changing her file to right. to reflect, to rank, reflect what she what does, she right. what she does, and it was really interesting. And it was like that is because everything was framed in money. And when you right. frame it in money, this came up actually the second time. We'll talk about me for a minute. Um because <laughs> because um, a place I used to work. Was very uh, scarcity based, oh, as okay. a lot of a lot of small businesses yeah. are, and so they treated every employee as if it was an economic hit, as if mm. as if they were a loss. Mm. And you only do that if you're not thinking about value. Because every employee is lost for a training period and then uh, if you're hiring exactly. Right, yeah, exactly then they contribute, they are a net contributor. That's why we have employees. That's why capitalism works if it doesn't right, all right. right? Exactly. It's because people organize together and get more done. So the only way to rephrase that that I can think of is if you only if you talk about value. Will this person bring value? Do right. and then from being here and getting their salary and getting their benefits and, and their data are they getting any value? Or is it so miserable that it's not not worth any amount of money to right <laughs> exactly
1: you know, and, and you and i were in a situation where someone was called us into a meeting and told us guess how much you guys cost me uh, yeah yeah. You know, when we worked together yeah and um uh,
0: yeah, what phrase i a, guess yeah how guess
1: much how much you cost me? me and and my response was <laughs> <November>. was um, <laughs> i don't cost you anything you compensate me right and when you have someone that my response was shock. I'm I know, saying, I know, you were silent. was on the ground, <laughs> and then you said that, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah
0: what he said? Yeah, what he said?"
1: <laughs> um, but I, you know, uh, all I kept thinking was, you know, my husband and I run a small business. I help him, you know, when I can. Um, I would never think of turning to someone and saying, guess how much you cost me because of the value someone brings. Right. Is immeasurable to their salary. So when when that was said, that was a really clear message for me that this person, number one, shouldn't be in the position that they're in. Right. And number two, was warped. Yes. In a sense of not understanding that that's inappropriate. Right. Well, that's true Social. It's it was wrong. Right. Yeah. And how much that person was costing by oh, that's interesting. saying that.
0: That's interesting. You know? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. certainly certainly the result was not uh, more focus on Or devotion, right? No, no. no, no the no, result no. was it what does my like, CV look
1: like? How is my LinkedIn looking? I was like, do I like that font on my CV? I think I applied for grad school that <laughs> so afternoon. You're like, I'm not going to use <laughs> Comic Sans. <laughs> I'm out here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the other two parts that, that, that I like to talk about are um, balancing what you do for work, which mm-hmm. um, we've kind of had a nice chat about keeping dog food in the bowl really for, for, right. for, for you uh, yeah. versus like or not even versus, but how you balance that with the community stuff you do and then um, the creativity stuff you do. So mm. we'll, want to pick one of those? And we'll chat about that for a little bit. Yeah,
1: um, I'm not really community focused. Um, it's more. Creativity focus and it usually, you know, I, I mean, I love doing things for other people, like, I love being able to do things for other people, but I, I find that the balance I need really is first kind of downtime for myself. And then out of that comes kind of creativity and projects or things like. Um,
0: See, I'm going to ask you in a bit. We'll talk yeah. about creativity first, but then I'm going to ask you to talk about your work with
1: animals because I would argue that that is that's community. community service okay, and- I never and- think charitable. of community not wearing clothes. <laughs> uh, okay, maybe I should. <laughs> sometimes dogs wear clothes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so sometimes. let's talk about the creativity piece. Yeah, now. the creativity piece. Um, you know, I I think. I try to be as creative as I can during the day, right? Mm. And when I'm working, Mm. I try to enjoy everything I'm doing. I I like to joke a lot. I like to make people laugh. I like to, you know, enjoy the day as much as possible. And I like coming up with creative solutions to problems. And I think that's why I like the whole database world, right? Mm. Um, Something I thought I would never like in my life because I was going to be an actor and that was it. I kind of find the creative piece finds me. Right. Okay. I don't go out and seek creative outlets. Something will happen. Mm. And that's what will inspire me to jump in or help or do. So a lot of times with the the salon that we own, uh, my husband owns, and I work there when he tells me, <laughs> is that he... Um, We'll say, you know, we have this problem, you know, we have this issue um, and I'll try to come up with some sort of solution. And usually it has to do with marketing or design or something like that. And that's always fun for me. Mm. Um, That's what I do for fun, really, is kind of uh, a lot of design stuff, a lot of Photoshop stuff. You know, it's all like computer based um, I'm not a person to sit down and paint <laughs> or anything like that. But I also do things like play readings for friends or, or um, storytelling uh, for uh, Compe- groups. Competitive stories. Competitive stories st- Competitive.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
1: which I like doing a lot. And
0: Yeah, you, he wins. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm going Asterisk on this for, for all that—that's just been pushed aside. Yeah. Competitive storytelling, at which you win.
1: Yeah, well, that, that was uh, um yeah a freak event. So I think um, I, uh, you know, I like doing that. But again, I like doing it because that is a sense of community for me. Yeah, I like telling stories, especially where I embarrass myself, because I think that really unifies a room. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it can be anything. Like when I fell down a flight of stairs into a marching band Uh, which is true Uh, you know that makes people say oh my life isn't so bad Um, but that's really the sense of community that I get
0: and you've used that technique to sort of for ice breaking purposes exactly you've got a great story about that Somebody famous. Well, there's a lot of M- famous... Meryl Streep? <laughs> like
1: well, there there have been a couple famous people, um, shall be nameless. Um, oh,
0: yeah, I didn't say Meryl Streep's name at all.
1: No. Um, <laughs> that you know, in, in meeting, I would be very intimidated by, let let me give you, I'll give you a toned down version, not a famous version, but (laughs) there was a a person that I worked with that was brilliant. And uh, I had just started at this job and he was just so brilliant, but he was also very, very serious. And he always looked like he was at a funeral. And um, I thought, you know what? I have to humanize him somehow because everyone's putting him on this pedestal. So after a mean I ran over to his desk and I said, hi, listen, um, I think you're brilliant uh, and everything you do is brilliant. I need you to tell me something you are horrible at. <laughs> And he jumped at the chance as if someone had been, he'd been waiting his whole life. And he said, I cut vegetables very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, thank God. I, I was like, you know, that's not really great, but I'm going to take that one. If you think of a better one, let me know. <laughs> but to just be able to tell people that... You know we all can connect in some way right and i use that at work and i use that outside at work that that to to i try to dumb down the human experience to things like <laughs> being embarrassed or falling in public
0: <laughs> tony tell me something you're horrible at
1: oh god there's so many things i'm horrible at do you know what i'm really bad at um i can't figure out <laughs> This is so sad. I can't figure out how much something is if it's on sale. (laughs) Like, it'll say 25% off and be like, that could be anything. (laughs) Like, as if there's a mysterious potion to figure it out. Um, And I always turn to my husband, like, what, how much is that? And he's like, well, it's $100.
0: (laughs) So, 25%
1: of that, Tony, would be. And I'm like, 13? Like, I just can't do it. I can't do it. Um, So, I can't do that. Um, I'm also not a good gay boy. Like, I'm just not a good gay boy. Like, I'm really bad at it. Like, I, I didn't I just, realize
0: there was a checklist.
1: There is a checklist. I'm really bad at it. Like, I can't do the thing. Like, I I'm, I'm, can't stay up past, like, 930. I just, I'm just, you know, but I'm over 30 now, so I'm invisible to any gay person under 30, so it doesn't
0: matter. All right, so that's, uh, so that's the creativity part. Uh, What about, uh, yeah, the community part? Because really, I want to make sure we get to some talking about what you do for animals. Yeah. It's a big part of your life. It's, um,
1: it's very similar to work. It's speaking for those that can't speak, you know, or, or are afraid to speak. Animals have always been it, really, really important to me. Um, I grew up in, you know, we always had a pet. Um, and I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. Um, so it it really was my focus. You know, if I had to do it all over again, I would be a veterinarian.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I would.
1: If I had to do it all over again, I'd, I'd smarten up. Um, <laughs>
0: There's but still time. This, Just putting that out there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'll be a 70-year-old pet. Um, I think Animals uh, one thing I could never understand was animal cruelty. I just couldn 't understand it I didn 't understand how someone could look at something and say, "Oh, I can hurt or destroy that," and then go through with that. Um, I'm proud of everything illegal I've done to help animals.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's illegal for have, helping animals I, I,
1: this is horrible um, for the person, but not me is uh, i've Uh, You know, I knew that there was a dog being abused. Everyone in the neighborhood knew it. I reported it, you know. And sometimes it's a very base level for animal care. You know, if they have food, water, and shelter, that's it. It doesn't matter if they're being screamed at or they're terrified all the time or whatever. So I just broke into the person's house and took their dog. Now, listen, (laughs) I'm going to deny that if anyone repeats it. Yeah, it's completely completely anonymous. Uh, would I do it again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Please arrest me. I don't care. But but the simple fact of sometimes we have to look at a, a situation in its entirety and take action outside of our norm and what we're comfortable with. And that's what animals force me to do. Mm. So I like I told you, I have a fear of birds. Mm. I um, one time was in a car. And someone in front of us struck a seagull and the seagull was hit and injured and on the side of the road. And I told my boyfriend at the time to pull the car over. He pulled the car over. I ran over I grabbed the seagull. The minute I touched the seagull, I started screaming at the top of my lungs because I was so afraid, (laughs) and ran back to the car screaming the entire time. (laughs) And put the the bird in the back seat, wrapped it in a blanket, screaming the entire way to the vet. (laughs) So you know, it it pushes it pushes my buttons. It's also the thing, though, that you know, late at night I think about. Mm -hmm. I'm here in a comfortable bed and there's a duty I have of being on this planet. And one of mine is to help animals and how come I'm not doing that right now while I'm trying to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a horrible, it's a uh, Mm -hmm. thing. It's from, uh, it was probably from parochial school. I had that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I like the phrase duty of care. Yeah. That's kind of what that is. Yeah. There's definitely
1: a duty of care with me and animals that, you know, my husband and I right now, we'll go, we go into debt trying to help our current animals. And wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. Like, and like, well, what are you going to do? Mm. You know, I know a lot of people that say, like, um, we're about to get our dog uh, cataract surgery. Mm. And she's an older dog. But I think even if she only has, you know, six months or a year, I'd rather have her seen during that time. Mm. But it's four grand. Wow. So... I'll give you my address.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you can start sending change. Um, you know, but, but we're like, okay, how are we going to afford that? And we don't know. But yeah. we just kind of proceed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know. Kickstarter. Yeah, exactly.
1: It, <laughs> it, it is, though, and it's funny because I just thought of that when I was talking to my aunt, that it's, again, that idea of there's something that needs an advocate. Right. And that needs to be me. Right period
0: now do you ever think about going into uh, larger ways like around advocating for legislation or
1: you know i do but there's something about that process that is so hands-off sometimes mm. from the direct care i'd rather work with smaller organizations that i know are doing the work mm. um and I kind of make my own laws <laughs> as, as we've
0: learned. As we've established. Right, right. I kind of make my own laws. Um,
1: but, but I definitely think there's value in that. And I certainly use how where I put my donations, I, I focus on that.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah,
1: where I donate money. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll,
1: I'll do that. But uh, I don't, I feel like that's not the best use of my time for animals.
0: Okay. You know,
1: I'm the person that someone says, you know, there's a wild dog roaming the street that hasn't eaten and it's starving. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to camp out on that sidewalk. I'm going to sit there with a bar, you know, a jar of peanut butter and some treats. And I'm just going to keep throwing them closer and closer to me until it gets closer to, being <laughs> <that> to me. And that's me. Yeah.
0: One of the things I like to ask people, I already asked you what, what you're bad at. So that's, that's definitely covering mm. that. Uh, what would you tell your younger self?
1: Go to vet school. <laughs> um, I, I would tell my younger self that though something may be a passion of yours doesn't mean it has to be what you do Mm. for a livelihood.
0: That's interesting.
1: The reason I say that is because sometimes part of the passion is that it's not your livelihood is that it's not your focus. Um, you know, uh, all my life, all I wanted to do was be an actor, mm-hmm. right? Ever since I was in um, third grade. And that's all I worked toward. So acting school and all of those things and, uh, you know, studio training and all of that. And I never considered that I might be good at other things. Mm. It really never crossed my mind that I could be good at anything else because I was always told, you're so great at this. Mm. and um, yeah, it's nice to, to hear that. And it's nice to, uh, you know, audition and get cast. All those things are great, great, great. And that was my passion. But then I started wondering, if I'm not hearing those applause, how do I feel about myself? Mm-hmm. And that's where my passion kind of turned on me. Interesting. And it made me start to wonder, who, I, who am I besides that? okay you know taking passion and hobbies and everything out who am i can i stand alone and feel okay right that's also my work philosophy though too which is it's okay to stand alone Mm. you know it's okay to be the one that says the things that no one wants to say i would tell my younger self to to allow yourself to note your passions Mm. and try other things more.
0: Mm. And passions plural.
1: Exactly. Exactly. There's always going to be passions plural. And I I don't like when people say, you know, you have one calling. Mm. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, who made that number up? That's stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know? And and, uh, I don't like this whole thing of like live your best life. And I'm like, Oprah, come on. Like, like I get it. I, yeah. I get it. But we all can't live in that space. Right. You know, uh, I wouldn't tell myself, you know, oh, live your best life because it, it puts this falsehood on what the experience of life is. Right.
0: Right. Know? And you certainly can't live it 100%. Of the time. Exactly. Stop it. Like
1: she doesn't sit down with like a bag of chips squatting in the bathroom. Of course she does. That's no, not your best no, that's life.
0: So do you find, I mean, I've just assumed, but do you find that the acting training helped you in terms of, like, uh, your confidence and... I don't know, ability to think quickly and on your feet and sort of, I mean, there's an actor yeah. really sense about you in management as well where, mm-hmm. especially your advocacy it mm. kind of has a, a sense of I don't want to say performance, but you're, you have no, there's no hesitation between, look, we talked earlier, my jaw dropped to the floor when somebody said something outrageous and it took me forever to recoup mm. my own brain mm. and you were on it and responding and
1: like, boom. Yeah, I, you know, I think part of that is the acting training, I think Part of that is just growing up as a gay boy, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> you know, because right. you have to be able to defend yourself with your mouth, you know, a lot of the time. And uh, but but no, I've always had a quick wit. But the thing people don't realize is that I grew up terribly shy. Interesting. No, I, I wouldn't have- terribly shy. Yeah. Um, like at school, I had like maybe one friend or that, and I would be myself a little bit with them. But otherwise, I just try to be invisible a lot of the time. I really think it does help. I think the acting training does help because the minute I would step on stage, I felt like I could do anything.
0: Okay. When in real life, I I felt like I couldn't. That's what I was wondering Whether it gave you the confidence. Yes.
1: And on stage, I'm the most confident person that you'll meet. But if the minute I step off stage, if anyone talks about what I just did, I feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, I do think it also helps me, though, being able to understand what I'm feeling in the situation.
0: Ah, That's interesting.
1: A little bit. Understand what I'm feeling a little bit and realize that I have to choose different paths to express that. Right. 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 So a lot of times people will be upset. And at a work situation, they'll start crying, right? Or they'll start, you know, right. and that's, and that's a valid thing, but that ha- often doesn't help the person get what they really need or want. Oh
0: yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. No. Right? Yeah. So and it, it spirals on them too. Like once, once you have that reaction and now you're aware that you're having the reaction, now you feel worse. Exactly. Exactly. You're ago. like, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And the minute I notice like I'm getting infuriated by something someone's saying mm-hmm. or whatever, I have to take the path of what you do in acting of make it interesting. Mm-hmm. So how do I make what I'm feeling not blunt force? How do I make it interesting? And often that that means letting the person talk it out until they pretty much hang themselves <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> to where you, to where you're just like, I'm just going to be patient. I'm going to just keep asking questions. Right. I think that's been probably the most helpful thing because I think it taught me more emotional intelligence okay. you know, that I really needed to be taught yeah. because in acting school, you're taught, you know, wear it, push it, you know, find it, do it, follow it. And then you're, you're sitting in a job where you're like, I'm angry. I should show them how angry I am. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, then it's yeah. like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Now,
0: have you ever thought about hanging out your shingle and doing management training and coaching consulting? Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: I definitely would. You know, I have, I consulted for one company mm-hmm. that um, wanted me to come in uh, because they were having morale problems, right? Right. So uh, it's, a, it's a good area for me to, to look at for people because I'm blunt and honest and, you know, will say it. And I, in the contract, had the agreement that I could name names of who I thought were causing the morale problem and everyone agreed and signed it and whatever and when I did my presentation I pointed to the two top managers and I said you are the problem. Okay. And everyone was shocked and you know appalled and they were upset and I said yes it is upsetting it's okay to be upset Um, but the fact still remains that you're the problem. Right. So you get to decide do I want to change that because if I'm dragging everybody down I would want to know. Right, Like, it's okay that I'm not perfect. Like, that's fine. Um, That kind of consulting, I think, is really, really valuable. But often people that buy consultants want to hear what they say. Yeah, they don't don't want to hear the real thing. Yeah, I I one time had a consultant. We were at a job I was working. They were getting paid $1,000 a day. Okay, a day. They worked for the organization for about six months, right? Check your cash. The first day the consultant started, I had listed out what I thought the issues were and what the resolutions were, and I handed it to her in our discussion. That was her final report. Oh, was my list?
0: Oh, oh your list. Six <laughs> With, months of exactly, YouTube. Exactly.
1: Exactly. With my suggestions. Wow. Um, but it was on colored paper. The oh. paper was gorgeous. Well, then I don't oh, see where, it, I don't see where made, you're coming from at all now. <laughs> it was hers. Now it was hers. She made it out of pulp. <laughs> um, no, and and that sent me reeling because here, here they were spending the money that they could have just been giving to employees that were working there that actually knew what they were talking about. And I learned from that right off the bat. Of, I'm never going to call a consultant in if I'm not able to reward the people that work there. Right. Period. Right. Ever. You know, and, and consultants are great to touch base with. I don't want a consultant coming into my work, talking to employees, that's my job to figure out.
0: Right. No, I was thinking in terms of when you have a place and that something is wrong, and have someone come in and say, "Yeah, yes,
1: yeah. I think for problem solving, yes, yeah." Uh,
0: and this is how you can change it. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I like doing that. For management training. So, yeah. You know, step back and think of these things because it's really it, it's funny. It's it's what it's what is good for business and it's mm-hmm. what business is all say they want yeah yeah and, <laughs> and, and sometimes they really do want it sometimes they really do need to do change management and... and i think that's
1: it that gets into the is perception and you know reality and all of that of like is what the company is really asking for what they want mm. uh you know you and i have talked about dignity yeah at
0: work. yeah dignity at work. and
1: and when you brought that up it really made me think about it that's
0: another time that, we went out to lunch and talked that's right work. we touched
1: touch dignity um <laughs> And and it really made me think, wow, that is what I'm always battling for. Yeah. For people. Like, I don't care if people hate me. That's okay. I don't care if they don't respect me. That's fine. I'm still just going about my work and doing what I have to do because I'm really not there for them. I'm there for the team. Right. I'm there for the people that I'm managing. Right. Um... So, I don't really care how others think. Yeah. You know, someone can be like, you know, I think you're a horrible manager. And, you know, if they're another manager, I'll be like, congratulations, you have thought. Well,
0: the interesting thing, is, the thing about dignity is it's not a zero sum game. Yeah, exactly. So if exactly. You're on the side of dignity, that actually benefits even the people that are being abusive. Everybody. You, you're, everybody
1: will win too. with dignity, yeah, everybody right? Everybody
0: will win, yeah. And you get dignity. <laughs> and you get dignity. <laughs> <laughs> Let me circle back to <laughs> okay. Oprah. Tony, thanks so much. Thanks for your time. Oh, thanks,
1: thanks. Um, yeah, let's do it again sometime. Oh
0: yeah, I definitely will. And if you hang out your shingle as a uh, as a coach, I will definitely put your link in. The oh my description.
1: god, of course you will. Thanks.
0: I'd like to thank Tony for being here today. Gallup data shows that eighty percent of people are unengaged at work. If you supervise other people, ask yourself if you're part of the problem. If you are supervised, I hope you can find the courage to step forward and speak up. And give generously to your local animal rescue. They're out there helping the voiceless. That's it for this week's 9 to Thrive podcast. Be sure to visit Working9toThrive.com. That's with the number 9 to access links, info, and to join the conversation. We're on Twitter at Nine to Thrive and Facebook at Working Nine to Thrive. Thanks for listening.